0: Hey podcast listeners, instead of our traditional newscast format, we are bringing you something special today. Our 2022 debates held last night with the candidates running for Grand County Attorney and Grand County Sheriff. This event was put together by KZMU with the ACLU of Utah and was supported by the Southeast Utah League of Women Voters. It broadcast live on Monday from the Moab Arts and Recreation Center. We're very excited to bring this to you and offer our airwaves as a place to get information before making a decision on your ballot. And just a note before you dive in, we did experience some technical difficulties with microphones during the first half of the county attorney debate. Long story short, we will never agree to using wireless microphones again, but in any case, I wanted to thank the candidates for being very calm about it as we figured it out in the moment. So just a heads up for you too, listener. All right, the first debate is with county attorney candidates Christina Sloan and Stephen Stocks. The second debate starts about 58 minutes into this recording with county sheriff candidates Kurt Brewer and Jameson Wiggins. Thanks for listening. All right, everyone. Hello and welcome to the 2022 candidate debates with those running for Grand County Attorney and Grand County Sheriff. I'm Molly Marcello, I'm with KZMU. I'll be moderating this evening. Tonight's program was put together by KZMU and the ACLU of Utah with support from the Southeast Utah League of Women Voters. This event is being broadcast live on KZMU from the Moab Arts and Recreation Center. Thank you to the folks at the Mark for providing us this space. Thank you so much audio from this event will be downloadable on KZMU's website and podcasts later this week all right before we get started we're going to hear a few words from carrie dabney from the southeast utah league of women voters carrie i also want to thank KZMU
1: and the aclu of utah for all the work that they've put together it's uh it's gonna be a great evening thank you guys um hello everyone and welcome to the first of two debates the tonight's and then uh, on the 17th um, there's advertising out on that, and, and we hope you'll attend both both of these events. The League of Women Voters of Southeast Utah is a newly restructured local league with a focus on grand and surrounding counties in Southeast Utah. So you've not heard of us before, but we really are. Um, we're not so much a continuation as we're a reconstructed local league and looking um, looking more at a regional kind of a... perspective. At the League's National Convention in Denver in June, our membership overwhelmingly supported a national position on criminal justice reform, so having the ACLU as a partner in the debates tonight is a natural fit for us. We were thrilled um, when they joined us. And in Denver, the League also passed a resolution um, presented by the League of Women Voters of Wyoming on missing and murdered indigenous people, and today is Indigenous Peoples Day. Um, And Tonight, beginning at 6.45, there's going to be a candlelight um, vigil uh, on the lawn at City Hall to raise awareness about missing and murdered indigenous women. So that's also a a very appropriate thing for for all of us to to be aware of. And uh, if you can join Moab City and the community at this event, that would be great, and candles will be provided. Um, Lily would also like to thank all the candidates and the attendees, both in person and virtually, because democracy is not a spectator sport. It takes all of us. So, thank you all for being here this evening. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about the um, League of Women Voters of Southeast Utah, we have a website, uh, lwvseu.org. And there's also postcards um, on all the chairs, and it's got our information there as well. So, we hope you will take a look at us and uh, enjoy the evening. Thank you all for coming.
0: Thank you so much, Carrie. All right, listeners, we are starting off with candidates running for Grand County attorney, Christina Sloan and Stephen Stocks. Listeners and voters, it's up to you to decide who you would like to serve as your county attorney for the next four years. Uh, We're going to start off with um, three-minute introductions. So candidates, in these intros, I'm hoping you could define the role of county attorney as you see it and why you would be particularly effective at it. Again, you each will have three minutes. Um, we're gonna start alphabetically by last name. So Christina Sloan, um, you are at first. Um, again, please introduce yourself, the role of county attorney, and why you would best fill it.
2: I wanna thank our host for holding oh.
0: this. Technical difficulties, KZMU listeners. We're fixing
2: the mic. Okay, so as I was saying, I wanna thank our host for um, holding this debate and the ACLU for taking an interest in Grand County this year. Um, I'm Christina Sloan. I am your county attorney. I'm wrapping up my first term. It's a four-year term, um, but I served in the COVID years, so like dog years, I think I should get seven, seven out of that. Um, I've been practicing law for 18 years, and I specialize in complex civil law. Uh, I moved to Moab more than 15 years ago. I grew up in rural North Georgia, and then I moved here to, meet, to, to join my husband, who is already here, we have two girls, we love raising them here. I'm a small town gal, um, and I think small town life is best. They are heavily involved in sports and dance, so if we, we will have a chance to talk to each other tonight, but anyone who isn't here can catch me on the ball fields. Um, many nights of the year. In terms of the role of the county attorney, it's laid out in statute, it's equal parts civil and criminal. BEFORE I WAS ELECTED, THIS COMMUNITY IS USED TO SEEING a COUNTY ATTORNEY WHO ONLY HANDLES HALF THAT JOB, THE CRIMINAL COMPONENT, WHEN IN FACT THE COUNTY ATTORNEY IS RESPONSIBLE FOR ALL CIVIL AND CRIMINAL NEEDS OF THE COUNTY. Um, IN MY FIRST TERM, I HAVE BUILT A VERY COMPETENT AND DIVERSE PROSECUTION TEAM THAT'S LED BY OUR CHIEF DEPUTY COUNTY ATTORNEY who is closing in on 15 years of prosecution experience. She's handled 50 jury trials of the biggest and baddest special victim cases. We're talking about homicides, domestic violence cases, rape cases, aggravated child abuse cases. Um, Together, we have worked with the courts uh, to create our first ever mental health, uh, informal mental health court here in Moab. We're also working with the Justice Court, currently with a new domestic violence pilot program that's really important. We've worked hard to increase the effectiveness of our drug court, which I'm sure I'll get to later. Um, and we've worked hard at strengthening relationships with law enforcement. On the civil side, in my first term, and of course my, my expertise is civil, so I think a lot of people are more, uh, more familiar with those accomplishments of mine. But I've made myself accessible and responsive to not just law enforcement, but also our county commission, also our county departments. I'm very proud of this. Being responsive to our county departments requires expertise in many dozens of practice areas. That's taxation, personnel, airport issues, roads, transportation, land use, housing, um, you name it. Uh, I've also provided an ear and a voice up at the Utah legislature, which is super important because people weren't paying attention in the past and we've been hurt because of that. I kept the county out of litigation in 2019 when we pulled overnight accommodations out of our land use code, which was a very, um, it, uh, it was an assertive act nationwide to do that. I also defended my opponent's subpar and short sighted litigation on a form of government to protect the form of government that this community has voted in and over and over again since 1992. Thank
0: you. All right. Thank you so much, Christina. Um, now, Stephen.
3: Can everybody hear me okay? Perfect. I, I want to start off and, and take an opportunity to s- introduce myself. My name is Stephen Stocks. I'm also running for the Grand County Attorney. I'm running as an independent and I'm unaff- unaffiliated. The County Attorney's job is two parts both criminal and civil in nature. In the criminal aspect, you wear the hat of the client. That means you get to be able to make policies, make decisions, and really set the tone for what it will be in the criminal prosecution. And tonight, you're going to hear about a lot of different elements of the criminal process. And for me, this is personally something I'm exceptionally passionate about. I am a a defense attorney. I represent people in the drug court program as a public defender, also a juvenile court defender and the drug court defender. So I am intricately involved. The next part is the civil aspect of the county. You're going to be defending the county on lawsuits, but also providing insight and advice to the county. And you do that through the commissioners. You provide them with legal advice, and they get to choose to make the actions. It's not the individual attorney that gets to champion individual policies, because it's not, that's not their role to do. Instead, it's the commission that decides to make action. Now, County Attorney Sloan said right off the bat that her predecessor only did half the job. That's what she's doing as well. She's only championing the civil portion of the job and is not championing the portion of the criminal elements of the the criminal prosecution element. And that's critical because in this community we have a lot of issues, we have a lot of problems. We have extremely high amounts of meth use, we've got extremely high amounts of crime that need to be addressed. And if these things aren't addressed, we'll continue to have that problem going forward. We need to be advocates for individuals that are trying to go through substance struggles. In the drug court program, as I personally was involved as the defense attorney, I saw people be denied entry into the program. That's exceptionally frustrating because it's that program that gives them the skill and the ability to move forward. Next, one of the most critical elements of this job is professionalism. We need to be able to do the job in a manner that is professional, that's fair. We don't add our personal flavor into the legal advice that we give. Instead, we give it based on the law, not about our personal feelings. Why? Because we're not elected to do that job. That's the commissioners. The commissioners are the one that get to have that right to choose what policies we do. Critical on that is that we need to be champions, to be able to reach across and talk to Law enforcement, nonprofits, and other individuals in this community that are connected to that connected to those issues, and we need to problem solve and work together. We haven't seen that communication be as successful under the current administration. So tonight, you'll hear from me about my difficulties and my struggles for representing individuals in a criminal capacity, how I've worked with the county attorney's office in the past, and some things that I'd like to change because I think it's very important that we have the opportunity for change.
0: All right, thank you so much, candidates. Um, Now we're going to move on to our questions. Um, They have been sourced from our nonprofit partners, local media, as well as members of the community. Um, I'm gonna do a quick rundown of how the time limits will be working for our listeners. Um, Candidates will be under time limits. Our amazing timekeepers, Jake and Eve, are here. Um, Thank you so much, this is a hard job. Candidates will have two minutes to respond to each question. Our timekeepers will be holding up cards when they have 30 seconds and 10 seconds remaining. And finally, when candidates have reached their time, our timekeeper will ring a little bell, as you've heard already. And um, at this point, candidates are allowed to finish their sentence, um, but should not start a new one. Each candidate will have the opportunity for a 30-second rebuttal. And if candidates do not directly address any question, we may pose a follow-up. Um, The candidate will then have one minute to provide an answer to that follow-up. And candidates, if you would like me to repeat any question, please just say so. Uh, We do ask our small live audience to keep a respectful silence after each candidate speaks and to reserve their applause until the end of the event. Um, As a reminder, we are here to participate in an important exercise in democracy and we do aim to treat everyone in this space with fairness and equity. So candidates are going to be answering questions in rotating order. Steven, you'll be at first. Um, We're going to spend some time tonight with criminal justice related questions. Our first one is about diverting defendants with drug and addiction issues or even mental health concerns away from the criminal legal system into treatment and support services. Do you support alternatives to incarceration in these cases? Why or why not? And if any, which alternatives to incarceration would you or do you support?
3: Yes, um, I support many different types of alternatives to incarceration. I'm going to go through a couple of them because they're, they're a little bit different. Um, one of the most common tools that we have as attorneys when we're dealing in the criminal justice sphere, we engage in a lot of plea, plea negotiations. Those plea negotiations help resolve a case without the need of trials. And it's it's very, very frequent that in the criminal prosecution sphere, you have settlement agreements. One of the biggest things that we can give is people another opportunity to, to have a second chance. And what that looks like, there's things called a plea in abeyance. A plea in abeyance is doing certain things, and after you complete those certain things, eventually a case will be dismissed. You might say, well, what kind of certain things are you talking about? Community service, completing probation successfully, fines, and other um, tasks, like assessment and treatment for drugs. Similar to that is a diversion program. The plea in abeyance program is entered in court in front of a judge, it's signed. A diversion agreement is just that, but the difference is it's an agreement between the prosecutor and the defendant. Now, you might say, why do, we, why do we care about those subtle distinctions? For people that don't have legal status in this community, diversions are critical. Those diversion agreements can allow them to remain in the country and not trigger uh, inadmissibility bases. The current administration has been difficult with this. We need to allow people to have diversion agreements they've been great on plea and abeyances in a lot of ways but diversions are unique and they're different and they help protect people that have immigration consequences we also currently have drug court and mental health court those are also really critical and helpful the drug court program functions by meeting every every other thursday and it allows people to come into the program to do certain things, to attend assessments and treatment, and it gives them the ability to not be incarcerated, but get the skills and the, treat, uh, the treatment that they need to help move forward. So I support both of them. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Stephen. Christina, you're up. Let me know if you need me to repeat the question.
2: The is absolutely, we all support alternatives to incarceration. Right? Do we have an issue? Sorry about that. Yes, I do. Absolutely, we all support <laughs> alternatives to incarceration. Um, THE GOAL OF THE COUNTY ATTORNEY'S OFFICE IS NOT TO THROW PEOPLE IN JAIL. IT'S TO HELP PEOPLE AND TO KEEP OUR COMMUNITY SAFE AND WHOLE. Um, AND ALTERNATIVES TO INCARCERATION ARE A GREAT WAY TO DO THAT. Uh, STEPHEN HIT ON A LOT OF THEM, WHICH IS GREAT. Um, the one, SO HE DIDN'T MENTION THE 24-7 SOBRIETY PROGRAM THAT WE JUST BROUGHT TO GRAND COUNTY FOR THE FIRST TIME IN COORDINATION WITH OUR SHERIFF'S OFFICE. RIGHT NOW WE'RE IN A FIRST PHASE WHERE WE CAN ONLY SERVE ALCOHOL OFFENDERS. BUT WE DO WANT TO MOVE THAT HOPEFULLY SOON INTO A SECOND PHASE WHERE WE WILL START TESTING. SO WE'LL USE PORTABLE BREATH TESTS SO THAT WE CAN EXPAND IT TO to DRUG OFFENSES AS WELL. Um, WE ALSO JUST LITERALLY AT THE LAST MEETING, THE COMMISSION CREATED A CRIMINAL JUSTICE COORDINATING COUNCIL um, TO GET TOGETHER COURTS, LAW ENFORCEMENT, OUR health, provi- our MENTAL HEALTH PROVIDERS, um, ALL THE PLAYERS IN THE CRIMINAL JUSTICE SYSTEM TO REVIEW WHAT WE'RE ALL DOING. PUBLIC DEFENSE AS WELL WILL BE REPRESENTED TO, to REVIEW WHAT WE'RE ALL DOING TO MAKE SURE um, THAT WE'RE GETTING BOTH OUR VICTIMS AND OUR DEFENDANTS THE HELP THAT THEY NEED, MAKING SURE THAT WE HEAR FROM THEM. IT IS REMISS TO TALK ABOUT ALTERNATIVES TO INCARCERATION WITHOUT POINTING OUT THAT WE DON'T HAVE SUFFICIENT SERVICES HERE. WE DON'T HAVE SUFFICIENT TREATMENT SERVICES. WE DON'T HAVE SUFFICIENT RESOURCES. AND THAT IS SOMETHING WE ABSOLUTELY STRUGGLE WITH. Um, We've pushed to the extent we can out of the county attorney's office on some of these issues, trying to get funding, trying to get um, more attention on the fact that Southeast Utah in particular is really underserved in this way, and we're continuing to work on it. Um, We did get some successes in my first term. We got more uh, beds at the mental health um, hospital up north. We got more funding for mental health. Um, We've gotten funding for this domestic violence pilot program. Um, And some other initiatives, so we'll keep pushing on that.
0: Okay, thank you. And thank you for dealing with the microphone. So this next question is related to plea agreements. Um, Unless, Steven, um, did you want to take a rebuttal? Okay, all right, this one will go to Christina first. I know you're just up. Plea agreements are deals between the prosecution and the defense, where the defendant gives up their right to a trial for agreed upon terms. Um, many cases are settled this way. If elected, what will you do to ensure that the plea agreements offered to defendants are fair? What role do you believe plea agreements should play in Utah's criminal legal system?
2: So, plea deals are vital to the American criminal system. Um, and they always happen. The majority of cases are resolved this way. Are we good? Sit
1: down.
2: Third times a charm. Plea deals are vital to the American justice system. Um, majority of cases are resolved that way. Uh, that's true in Grand County. That's true in Utah. That's true across the United States. Um, and, but, but they have to be offered um, on a case-by-case basis. They have to be fair and just. They have to be constitutional. Um, and, and the county attorney's office is critical in making sure uh, we do all that. So this means looking at admissible evidence, our likelihood of success on the merits of trial, the law involved, the rele- relevant circumstances, and also making sure that we receive victim input. So the Utah Constitution's pretty groovy, and we actually do acknowledge in the Utah Constitution the rights of defendants, and we take that responsibility to confer with victims very seriously. Um, and victims often know, they know defendants better than we do most often, and they know what defendants need. Because again, we want to make sure we connect our offenders with treatment and resources to make sure they don't offend again. Um, So otherwise, in terms of the constitutional issues, that's something a lot of people don't understand. What does that mean? That means we're making sure that a defendant understands that they have a right to an attorney, making sure the defendant understands their appeal rights, making sure they have a sufficient time to consider the plea deal, and making sure that they have an opportunity to discuss that plea deal in court both with their defender or their defense
0: attorney, with the court, and with the county attorney's office. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much. Stephen,
3: you're up. You run through the question one more time.
0: Sure. Plea agreements. Um, Many cases are settled with plea agreements. If elected, what will you do to ensure that plea agreements offered to defendants are fair? What role do you believe they should play in Utah's criminal legal
3: system? One of the first starting points for any type of criminal case is to know who the people are. As county attorney, I'll be personally invested in this. Uh, the current county attorney isn't personally invested in each and every one of the cases. I will be. I'll oversee what we are doing with each individual case, the victims involved in the case, and also the other, um, the other factors, law enforcement. One of the most critical elements is knowing what punishment you're putting in place and weighing it with justice. Do we have an offender that's doing the things that they're doing only because of drugs do we have somebody with malicious intent? We need to go through each and every case individually, and we need to address them based on the circumstances of not only the victim, but the defendant. We need to balance them. We need to see what's fair. For example, if somebody does not have legal status in this country, and they're charged with a methamphetamine offense, that means that they could be deported from this country. Makes them inadmissible. The current county attorney's office does not permit me to change the type of substance that we have, to something that wouldn't cause them to be inadmissible. That's concerning. The reason why we want to do that is so we can keep members of the community here and not punish them above and beyond. We need to make sure that we're handling these things with urgency. We've seen recently a number of cases that have taken quite some time to get to the point where we actually follow through and charge the case. There was a case here recently that made the paper about how serious it was, but it sat for a year. We need to be critical of how quickly we can move on those things. Again, I speak from firsthand experience. The amount of time that current, uh, current individuals are incarcerated prior to their trials is staggering because we have a process called discovery, and it takes a bit of time for the information to come out. That causes people to continue to be incarcerated, and, and, and we need to be faster on the plea agreements. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Stephen. Christine, do you want to take any rebuttal? I will. There, okay you have 30 seconds um, Stephen pointed out that he would be intimately
2: involved in every single case as County Attorney uh, no human can do both parts of the County Attorney's job the responsibilities are huge enormous and extremely diverse uh, I our prosecutor as I pointed out before I had 13 years of experience with Salt Lake County until we stole her away which was a huge coup. Uh she is a professional the likes we haven't had in Grand County before she has she has prosecuted 50 more jury trials than my opponent. We are in great hands. Um, and you know more efficiently than ever before,
0: we're handling both parts of this big job. Thank you. OK. Thank you so much. Um, Stephen. would you like to take 30 seconds?
3: Christina mentioned that the prosecutor in her office has 50 more jury trials than me. That's excellent. If I'm elected county attorney, she becomes part of my team. So the experience that the prosecutor that's in office now has would be with my team as well bragging about the current person that's in office the current deputy doesn't really gain any points people do this job in other counties san juan county they have two attorneys and now they're down to one she's doing both parts so the attorneys can do both parts of this job thank
0: you okay thank you both candidates um we are now going to our third question um this is about racial bias um stephen yes you're up first Prosecutors uh, might find evidence of racial bias in cases in a number of ways, including body cam footage, witness statements, or even a police report. Under your leadership, will the county attorney's office make different charging decisions when there's racial bias in a case? If so, how?
3: Uh, I want to draw your guys' attention to two dates that are important, um, August 16th and August 30th. On August 16th and August 30th, there were suppression issues that reached Judge Torgerson of the Seventh District Court. And Judge Torgerson ruled in those suppression cases that the evidence wasn't sufficient. Unfortunately, in both of those cases, um, it wasn't sufficient to sorry to support the legal sufficiency level for a unlawful search and seizure under the Fourth Amendment. So, so basically, what he ruled was violation of constitutional rights of the individual defendant. And both of those instances involved people of color. That's concerning it should not have gotten anywhere near the stage of a motion to suppress. We should be reviewing these fact patterns to make sure that we're not going above and beyond or going beyond somebody's constitutional right against search and seizure. Now, a lot of times these cases happen with individuals that are Spanish speaking. Um, We have we don't have very many officers that are fluent in Spanish. I, for example, I'm fluent in Spanish. It, it really is a huge language barrier when somebody doesn't understand what's going on. We have smartphones nowadays, and we could utilize those smartphones and help encourage that use to translate what's going on so that we make sure that our stops are legal, legitimate, and correctly handled. We're not seeing that now. So we need to slow down. We need to give training to law enforcement where it's necessary. When we have an issue of suppression, then we need to stop and give that training and that experience. We haven't seen that with Ms. Sloan. We need to do better with that. Next, finding appropriate resolutions for people of color and people um, that are not, uh, not from this community are also very particular. We have to have reasonable and fair outcomes for everybody. And we need to make sure that the stops are legitimate and are correctly done. So we need more law enforcement training for that. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Stephen. Christina. Um, Let me start by saying uh, we all have implicit bias, right? We need to start there. Um, I have uh, participated in some really powerful training that the state provided to me, um, which quite frankly, since my first year of law school, was the most interesting and fascinating uh, education or training that I've ever been through. Uh, Stephen really focused on uh, racial bias in law enforcement, um, and that's important. Um, we, We work with law enforcement. We are a cooperating agency of law enforcement. We are not part of the same team. It is the responsibility of the county attorney's office to work with law enforcement where we see bias um he mentioned bad search and seizure well we have decades and decades of history of bad search and seizure here so there's a lot of reasons why that's happening we're working very hard the county attorney's office does put on training for law enforcement we also push our law enforcement leads to get training to our officers when we need them in terms of the the smartphone comment there's actually official translation services that law enforcement is supposed to be using called language link they don't often do it at the start of, the, of a stop. They absolutely should. In that case, they absolutely should. We had already discussed that issue um, in that case. So so we do push there. Um, and the bottom line is that my office looks past gender and race when we make charging decisions. So regardless of what's happening on the road with law enforcement, we're the gatekeeper. And we are not going to file charges if we see racial bias as a motivation for the stop
0: or we see any other illegal or unconstitutional activity. Thanks. Thank you steven would you like 30 seconds okay all right we're going to move on to our next question then um of course christina is up first um, this one is from our partners at the times independent one issue that made headlines recently is the lawsuit that about a dozen local businesses are bringing against both grand county and moab city over various ohb and noise related regulations these are regulations that many other people in the community have wanted This lawsuit will inevitably cost money and staff time. So what, if anything, can the County Attorney's Office do to help Grand County's lawmakers enact locals-oriented policy while also avoiding intra-community lawsuits? Okay, will you repeat just the question piece of it, that last line? What can the county attorney's office do to help Grand County's lawmakers enact locals-oriented policy while also avoiding intra-community lawsuits?
2: Okay, yes. And this is a lawsuit filed by Blue Ribbon Coalition. I'll be handling that myself in-house. We will... Assuming we get all the way to trial, and we're certainly fighting it um, from the county perspective, Um, but our fees are going to be our witness fees. We do have a a noise expert, but I will be handling that lawsuit myself, which is why it is so important to have civil expertise. It's a a complex issue. Stephen, by the way, mentioned San Juan County. Uh, They are down to one attorney. That's because everyone's fled San Juan County. It's very complex down there. She's completely overwhelmed. They also, by the way, have spent since 2015 $6 million, more than $6 million, in special attorney fees because they don't have a county attorney with this complex civil background. They try to farm it out. That's what my predecessor did, Um, and it doesn't work you're paying hundreds of dollars per hour um, for, litiga- for litigation for people who don't live here and don't care. Um, in terms of helping our, pol- our lawmakers, you know, that's what I've spent a significant amount of my time doing. Um, It's a very complex issue. You're gonna hear my opponent probably say at some point tonight, it certainly was talked over and over in the prior debate, that we need to work harder to bring the parties to the table. Uh, If that was a solution, then uh, we would have done that before. We worked around a table with these ATV businesses for all of 2021. We worked with our motorized trail group. We worked with a special facilitator, the USU Lintas, who was involved in the snowmobile fight up in Yellowstone. We worked with the Chamber of Commerce who mediated a number of meetings. We held public workshops with them. We held public meetings with them. We went out and tested machines with them. We held a voluntary noise testing event to just collect data to help us set, for example, the noise, um, the maximum noise limits in our um, ordinance. There isn't a simple issue. It's a very complex issue. Um, my role is to support the commission and the commission's role is to listen to the community. And that's what I've done. Thank you, Christina.
0: Steven.
3: I, I think any attorney in this room will agree. Um, you can't stop somebody from bringing a lawsuit against you. Uh, people will sue um, for whatever reason. I want to touch first on the $6 million figure that my opponent brought up. San Juan County hasn't spent $6 million on legal fees recently. I I, firsthand, I talked to the county attorneys down there. Uh, That's attorney's fees that are hold over from 2012 when there was a redistricting effort that the commission made a mistake in San Juan County and they got sued over it. In 2017, they hired lobbyists for Bears Ears, spent a lot of money on that. Again, that was a commission decision. That $6 million figure is not what um, this community is at risk at. So if there's a concern that, oh, no, we're going to pay $6 million if I get into office, uh, that's, that's not even feasible. Number one, when you look at creating policies, you need to give policies based on the law, what you can do, where your limitations are. Next, when you're defending a lawsuit, you're going to do it, and you're going to involve your clients. You're going to make sure it's what they want to do. There's going to be a settlement, if ever, that's a decision that the county makes through its representatives, the commissioners. So I can't take that, t- that option off the table because that's not my place to do. I'm just the attorney. I need to listen to my client. That's the commission. So if they want to resolve it, we can look at options to doing that. Now, lastly, um, whatever we do with the noise, we need to either do it right. If we're going to have enforcement of speed or if we're going to have any, any type of enforcement, we need to crack down and address it. How do we do that? We provide funding to law enforcement so that they can do their job because right now we're not having the amount of funding that law enforcement needs to be fully staffed. So that's, that's very important. Next, we need to communicate with law enforcement and the other community members so that we can help achieve the goals that the commission puts out. So those are my, my suggestions on how we address that, but we can't, be avo- we can't avoid lawsuits sometimes.
0: Thank you, Stephen. Christina, did you wanna take a 30 second rebuttal?
2: Sure, just quickly, the six million um, is redistricting. It's bear's ears. It's the Lyman recapture ride. It's numerous land use appeals, and it was the illegal activity trying to keep Willie Gray Eyes off the ballot, in addition to a couple of other little things. Um, and then on the noise with law enforcement, we absolutely need law enforcement to help us. And believe me, I've been trying. You're gonna hear from law enforcement tonight, and I'm very excited to hear what they have to say on noise regulation. I have heard Jameson Wiggison um, talk about a um, Wiggins talk about a, a civil enforcement division in law enforcement, and I think that could be really critical. The you know co- workforce capacity is a huge component, um, and another huge mpo- component is energetic support from our sheriffs. So I hope the community they often reach out to the commission to complain that we're not doing enough on noise. Please reach out to your sheriffs over and over and over and over again, and I think that you know likely this debate will be
0: decided on that issue. Okay. Thank you. Or right, this election. Stephen. 30 seconds. No. You, you want to move on to the next question? Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, speaking of, let's go to noise enforcement. Um, local leaders have spoken publicly about a certain reluctance, either in the past or still ongoing, among some law enforcement to enforce noise-related laws. What is your approach to bridge this gap between policy and enforcement when it comes to noise or really any other issue?
3: Have public meetings. Um, invite them publicly. Say... Good evening. We, we invited the sheriff. We invited the Moab police to come down here today. They're not here. We invited the mayor here. We, bring, we need to invite everybody down and address this issue. It's obvious. People are complaining about the speed. They're complaining about the noise, and we have the ability to enforce speed control. How many, well, I won't ask you guys to raise your hand, but many in this community have seen UTVs, motorcycles, whatever vehicles, speeding up and down the road. Why aren't we pulling them over? It's easy, it's easy to do a solid week of enforcement. You pay the overtime to law enforcement and you get a reputation. I, for one, don't speed through Wellington. Why? Because I'm terrified of Wellington, Utah. It's a speed trap and we all know. And how do we know? Well, you go through Wellington one time with a friend and they say, hey, hey, be careful. Their law enforcement, their police station is right off the main strip. So be careful, don't speed there. If we want that same uh, reputation in Moab, we can do that we can help impact the industry we can contact uh, individuals in that community and we put the pressure on them where do we look to enforce and where do we look to focus on enforcement sand flats that's a perfect place to enforce uh, noise restrictions speed restrictions that we can do so i think we bring everybody to the the table by having public meetings encouraging uh, work with the law enforcement that's the grand county sheriff the mob police and then our uh, our national parks and uh, teams thank you
0: okay thank you stephen christina same question i pretty
2: much agree with everything stephen said um don't say that very often um people are scared of the sheriff why are people scared of the sheriff our current sheriff's a great guy our sheriff candidates are great guys um talk to your sheriff even within the county I would say there is, um, there isn't as much communication with the sheriff as there should be. It's its own separate elected office. I have worked very, very hard on that relationship. Um, also with MOAB police, and we have a really great leader in our new police chief and our assistant chief, and I am so excited about that. Um, when I came into office four years ago, the level of toxicity between the county attorney's office and the police department in particular was so high that the criminal justice system was dysfunctional on many levels. Uh, It was probably the biggest surprise of my first term is how much time I had to put into building relationships. Not all of that was law enforcement, but a huge component of that was law enforcement. Um, Otherwise, uh, you know, we also, I've I've worked hard training law enforcement on noise. We hired a noise expert, uh, at least in part specifically, to come and train law enforcement. And we we did that in two different one-week stints. And our sheriff did, Put four of his guys in both of these one-week stints, about nine months apart from each other, maybe. Um, our noise expert helped them train both in the classroom and on the road. We went through all of the tools that are already in state law to help law enforcement actually cite people right now that aren't reliant on our local ordinances, um, and we also went through the local ordinances. And yet, there isn't enough enforcement, and and our sheriff candidates can tell us why.
0: Stephen would you like a 30-second rebuttal okay let's move on so our next question is related to housing Um, the Grand County Commission often considers new policies and initiatives related to affordable housing and workforce housing Um, of course any new thing can attract legal challenges as we've talked about earlier or have legal barriers Um, but everyone is kind of talking about the need for creative solutions in the housing arena how will you help foster legal pathways for the creation of affordable and workforce housing in our community,
2: there's a lot of frustration on this issue, and I want to acknowledge that, and it's important. But I also want to sing the praises of Grant County, going back 2008, for some of the initiatives that have come out of the commission and supported by the county attorney's office that that have put us in a decent place in comparison to, say, even Kane County, where your Walker Tusher home that might be going for half a million here is going for over a million in Kane County. Similar product. In 2008, we had the foresight, led the whole country in taking short-term rentals out of our residential areas, which really set the tone. In 2019, the reason we pulled overnight accommodations out of our um, commercial zones as a use by right was not to stop hotels. It was to allow housing to catch up. In 2019, we had more than double the number of overnight accommodation units to homes. From there, we started. Well, we are already working on the high density housing ordinance, which is our workforce housing ordinance. There is not a, a an affordability component. There's not an income qualification. If you if you live and work and in, in, Grand County full time, then you qualify for workforce housing. We passed that in early 2019. Of course, we had, so we approved 300 units. Nearly all of those were gobbled up right away. Three of our developers took their huge density bonus up to 15 times the underlying zoning and then turned around and sued us and tried to undo the ordinance. I won every single claim in every one of those cases. I handled those in house by myself. From there, um, we approved Arroyo Crossing, which is a low-income development. That will give us 300 more units. So we have almost 600 units in the pipeline right now starting to be built out. Peak View, which is the development just south of Rim Village, that's the one you're seeing right now, and it is starting to really come to fruition in its phase one. I think Desert Soul is gonna be one you're gonna see soon on Spanish Valley Drive. Um, Right now, a lot of attention is being put on this residential camp park zone, I have some issues with that one in terms of enforcement, but we're still working on it and tweaking it. And I know that I have the civil expertise to help support the commission to both get a product passed that will help, but also keep us out of court, or at least help us win in court if we get there.
0: Thank you, Christina. Stephen, do you want me to repeat the question? Sure. Okay, Um, how will you help foster legal pathways for the creation of affordable and workforce housing in our community?
3: So again, it's important to remember that the policy that is driven in this community is driven by the commissioners. They are the executive and legislative branch. They get to push that forward. Uh, Regarding creative solutions, looking at the TRT would be one of those creative solutions. If we could use some of the funding from the TRT to be able to offset the negative impact of tourism in this community, that would be a win. That would be a possible legal way that we could go about doing that. And if we can get work done at the legislature or with the um, governor's office, we can make those advancements. And that would be a unique way that the county attorney can, can can directly help interpret that statute, if, that, if there was that possibility. Uh, we need to be policy driven that we can actually enforce it. Some of the ideas that are coming out of planning and zoning now to install essentially four uh, campers or four RVs on a single acreage, enforcement looks like a nightmare. Um, some of the things that come out of these creative solutions are Restrictions, because what you don't want is you don't want to do a restriction or a deed restriction or some sort of covenant that negatively impacts the land, and then have somebody remove it. Like like Miss mentioned, uh, the high density that they had in, had placed and attached to the development that should stick. And the reason why is we don't want people getting the benefit of this increased density and then removing it later, and then selling it, or changing or modifying what its intended goal is to be. If it's supposed to be for housing, if it's supposed to be for workforce housing, there needs to be the teeth behind it, and we need to be able to claw back whatever benefits they get if they don't, um, if they don't abide by the law. Last, we need to have better relationships at the state. We need to be able to communicate with our state legislatures to make sure that we can make the changes to the policies that will help uh, help us have more housing in this community. Thank you,
0: Christina. Would you like thirty th- seconds? I will take that.
2: Um, TRT it can't be used for housing. We sure wish it could be. We're pushing on that. Hopefully, we get there. Uh, there's already a mitigation provision in the TRT statute. That's transient room tax. It is a very complex statute. the The mitigation is very specifically laid out. Law enforcement prosecution, garbage, these are the types of uh, uses we can use for the mitigation part of the TRT. Um, in 2021, in the general session, um, I worked hard with Chris Bear to get uh, the most important TRT reform passed in Grand County's history, which allowed us to use some of the restricted funding. This is the two-way funding that's not in the mitigation pocket. It's in the tourism promotion, it was tour- tourism promotion that. recreation Oh,
0: sorry, it's a rebuttal. Stephen, 30 seconds.
3: No, we can go to the next question. Are you ready for the next question? Ready for the next question. Okay.
0: All right, this one is related to collaboration. What are your strategies to encourage collaboration with other governmental agencies or even community-based organizations to help solve the big problems that impact our community and criminal justice system, whether that be housing and homelessness, interpersonal violence, addiction, et cetera?
3: So in my work as uh, not only a drug court advocate, a private defense attorney, I've also helped nonprofits in this community. Um, I've helped nonprofits such as Haven, and I've really had a great ability to communicate with them and help address some of the things that they see as problematic. We live in a really small town and whenever you're a victim of any type of crime, you're basically put out on an island. And if it's a domestic violence case, for example, you're ejected from your home. You're put in, oftentimes, uh, a, socioeconomic, a socioeconomic nightmare where you have no funding because your aggressor or your abuser might have uh, the money and the income. And so you're put out there and you're alone. Haven and, and other organizations in this community, such as the Multicultural Center, they step forward and they help out. And it is wonderful to see. The county attorney's office needs to reach out, reach out and, and advocate, and, and have the victim's advocate do a lot of the work. We need to be able to have not only Haven come in, but the Multicultural Center and all these other organizations that help victims come to the table. Come up with solutions. We've seen amazing things for partnership between uh, the Moab Police Department and Haven, where they do a domestic violence danger assessment. Things like that come out of it, and it's wonderful to see. So how do we do do it? We reach out to them. We invite them to the table, and we encourage them to tell us what's going wrong. I want to be the type of county attorney that you can criticize and not worry about backlash. That's important to me. I have my flaws, and I know, you know, Christina will help point them out for you, but uh, my flaws exist, and I'm not going to say I'm the perfect attorney. I'm the only candidate that can do blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to tell you that. Why? Because that's not me. I'm from this community. I love this community, and I'm willing to work with others, even if that requires me saying, I don't know. I'll have to ask somebody else that's the type of person that I am, that's the type of attorney that I am, and that's the type of county attorney I'd be. Thank you.
0: Okay, thank you, Stephen.
2: Christina? Um, It's an important question. Uh, This type of collaboration is so important to um, making sure all of our agencies and districts in the county function at a high level of performance. It's actually my favorite part of the job is this type of collaboration. Um, Stephen hit on, on some of them. Um, some we haven't talked about so much. The school district is a big one after asking questions this spring about school safety um, and also talking with our new police chief who was entering into his new position at that time about how can we get our school officer uh, our school resource officer program back up and running um, the school district has put me on their clinical safety team for the first time the county attorney has never sat in I would never put someone else in that room I'm gonna go every time Caven I make sure that my office participates in every single training they have and whenever those are collaborative team building type relationships or type trainings I'm gonna be in that room every time we've worked really well with four corners mental health to one get some of this funding I discussed earlier on in um, prior general sessions of the Utah legislature, we worked hard to get more beds for Grand County. Um, it used to be that our tri-county mental health uh, treatment facility only had, uh, so it was a tri-county uh, program, and they only had two beds. And Grand County often got left out because it was Carbon, Emory, and us. We needed another bed to make sure we could get some of our folks up there, and we did that in partnership with Four Corners. Um, working well with the city we haven't talked with that about that yet there's you know been a high level of dysfunction between the county and the city in the past that's not okay i've worked really hard on that relationship i have great relationships with city council Um, i've always worked well with the city attorney both the prior city attorney and now the firm that they're working with Um, i'm working really well with the police chief and i think he's a huge asset and i don't say that lightly because i was a big advocate of consolidation um, and he has totally won me over, and, and I'm putting a lot of time into that. Uh, I have made big strides um, in this area, and I look forward to continuing to build those relationships.
0: Thank you. Stephen, would you like to take 30 seconds? Super,
3: super quick. Uh, one of the things that Christina mentioned was when Sea Haven puts on a presentation, I've been one of those presenters. Um, I've really been passionate about um, working with the Utah Legal Services to help women that are victims of domestic violence file protective orders and defend them in court. There are a lot of people in this community that need that type of help and need an advocate for them in their uh, time that's very difficult. The level of dysfunction that we're seeing at the city has continued throughout Miss Lund's term. When, when, where, where does it stop? We need to address it, we need, thank you. Okay.
0: Christina, did you want 30? Okay. We have time for one more question. Um, this one goes to Christina first, actually. Um, this is the structure of the county attorney's office. Um, Throughout the campaign season and also in this event tonight, you each have sort of referenced certain areas of expertise and strengths when it comes to the duties of the county attorney's office. Christina, as you know, you emphasize your civil law strengths. Stephen, you emphasize your criminal law strengths. I'm making an assumption here that this could mean that each of your approaches to the structure of the county attorney's office might be different. Um, What do you see as the most effective use of the county attorney's time and focus for taxpayers? How would you structure the department for maximum efficiency, and cost-effectiveness.
2: Well, I think I've done that. And that's putting your county attorney in the complex civil bucket. Um, because that is the expertise that, quite frankly, especially in Southeast Utah and Grand County, is, is harder to find. Um, and that is, you know, it's the complex civil law that carries the most risk and liability. That's where you see lawsuits. That's where you see attorney fees that raises taxes for all of us. Um, the, the prior, my predecessor, in his last year was spending upwards of $150,000 on contract attorneys in Salt Lake City. He was paying between three and $600 per hour for that contract work, and we got almost nothing out of it. And when I go back and look at some of those old research memos or legal memos, the work is flawed. It, they're folks that don't care about us. They don't even think deep. Um, they're taking the $10,000 project and, and they're putting out a memo and it's really important We don't go back to that. I've worked really hard to restructure um, This office and let me say back up. I use that $150,000 to hire my chief deputy. Um, so I increased the efficiency of the office twofold without a budget increase. Now, obviously, we had a big salary uh, survey that affected the entire county um, recently. But before that, I had more than doubled the efficiency of the office um, with the same budget that my predecessor had.
0: Um, I think there's more parts to that, but you structure the department for maximum efficiency and effectiveness. Yeah, I
2: think, you know, I think we we need to stay the course. Uh, I think, you know, my second term is going to be even better. I've learned a ton um, and I've gotten a lot done also, but we also could go
0: backwards pretty quickly. Thanks. Okay. Steven, same question.
3: We wouldn't be going backwards with me. Um, First, the county attorney's office, as many of you might not know the structure, we currently have Miss Salone, Colleen McGee is the chief prosecutor, Eddie Cervantes is in the office and then they have paralegals and admin staff. Uh, it's a big staff. It's probably one of the largest law firms in this area because of how many attorneys and how many admin are in that office. Uh, Christina's brought on uh, additional staff members, and that raises a cost. As Ms. Sloan speaks, you would think that she handles everything that the county county's office handles. That's not true. She gets help. Uh, they had the opioid counsel that came on and assisted. When I brought my lawsuit, and again, complex civil litigation. There was a suit that was brought against the county. Miss Salone didn't defend that single-handedly. She requested $10,000 to go up against little old me. Um, there is this misconception that all of this work that comes in has to be parsed out. Everywhere else in this area, in, in the state, from everywhere that I've interacted with, you see counties, rural counties handling a lot of parts of it. How would I do maximum efficiency? I'd become the prosecutor in the drug court program. Why? Because I'm passionate about that. I've seen it from the defense perspective, and I know what we need to do and what we need to change. We also need our attorneys to be well-rounded. What happens if one of the attorneys in the office leaves? Right now, if our criminal prosecutions, prosecutor said, adios, I'm out, where would, we be, where, would we, where would we be left? We need to be balanced attorneys. And in a rural area, that's what you have to do. You have to take on those things. Additionally, the county has insurance. And in certain, uh, certain times, that will trigger and we will have counsel come in and handle parts of the litigation. It's not just a one-man army of Miss alone, It's a team. And that's what the office needs to look like, is a team effort where you're doing multiple parts. There'll be specialization in some aspects, but I can handle the work it's a task. Thank you.
0: Christina, would you like to take 30 seconds? Yes. Yeah, so let me address the insurance claim
2: first. How it works is we have a $25,000 budget if we seek it um, with our insurance company. They always let me lead because they know that's my civil expertise. If I don't lead, we have a $25,000 allowance. If we exceed that, our premium starts to go up and each of you pay for that. We don't get to choose what attorney our insurance company assigns us to. They assign someone to us, and that person doesn't live here. That person lives in Salt Lake City. I also want to address that prior to me adding um, Eddie Cervantes, who's helping us with our justice court, uh, we had not added a person in the county attorney's office since the first term we're Happy Morgan, so 20 years ago, essentially.
0: OK, thank you. Stephen, did you want 30 seconds to respond? OK. All right, we are closing in. We're going to closing statements now. Stephen, you are up first. Um, thank you both for a really informative discussion tonight. Um, so closing statements are typically an opportunity to clarify or, or expand upon a point made earlier in this evening. You could also use this time to summarize your campaign and why voters should elect you to serve as county attorney. Um, you'll have two minutes. Um, Stephen, go ahead.
3: I'd like to thank everyone for taking the opportunity to be here in person, to listen live, to watch it streaming. This is an important race. A county attorney, like we've heard in the beginning, is the person that's going to be doing the criminal prosecution and helping our county, through its commissioners, decide what it wants to do in the future. We need an unbiased person that's willing to look for help when it's needed. Tonight, we've heard a lot about the criminal justice system. I'm the, I'm the candidate that has a lot of experience in this. Why? Because I've chosen it. Now, Miss Salone has had the opportunity to be involved in the criminal prosecution, but has set her attention in other places. We have a huge difficulty in this community with drugs. That needs to be addressed. We will have civil issues. They will come, and we will be staffed and be educated and have resources, as she mentioned, through the insurance policy, to be able to address these things. I would consider you guys to, to consider voting for me, to look at my platform and reach out. Um, I put out my phone number 435-210-1952. It's my, my personal cell phone. It will ring. Reach out to me. Ask me questions. Challenge me. That's good. That's what it's supposed to be in a small town. When we, don't, uh, when we don't know, ask. And if you guys have questions or concerns, you can reach out to me. And I'll have the same policy, except for I'll probably have to change my, my phone number now. Um, if elected, I would like people to reach out. To ask me questions and when they see something's wrong they feel comfortable to come up to me and say hey steven we want you to do better or hey steven we liked how you do this we would suggest doing this this race means a lot for the community because not only does it handle the criminal aspects but it also handles the civil we need somebody that's willing to be in there without their own bias giving legal advice letting the commission decide because all of you voters select your commission as your policy makers and i don't get to choose what policy they run. I get to help them do their job. So I really hope that you guys would consider voting for me in the election. Your ballots will come out next week, and I really appreciate you guys taking the time to be educated and informed. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Stephen. Christina. Thank you. We are a small county with big county challenges, and we need expertise and experience to lead us through those. Um, I have put a lot of effort into the criminal component. Um, while specializing in the complex civil law. And I'll continue to expand the effectiveness of our criminal diversionary programs. I'll continue to push for more resources and pretrial services for defendants, both locally and up with the Utah legislature. I'll continue to work on collaborative relationships throughout town. Um, I'm very eager to support the new sheriff in his role. Um, One thing we haven't talked about is um, the criminal policy making I've done. My opponent likes to talk about me meddling in policy as a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. And quite frankly, any good county, county attorney is going to be involved in policy, both civil and criminal. Um, One criminal policy we haven't talked about is with the help of Jackson Saunders family, I have drafted a drug-induced homicide bill that has received the unanimous support of prosecutors in the state of Utah and I need to get it across the finish line in the 2023 general session and I have placed that bill with Senator Weiler who's agreed to run it and what it does is it allows us to prosecute a drug dealer who knowingly sells drugs to someone who later ends up ODing. Right now, all we can do is prosecute someone with the mens rea, which is the intent to kill someone. This shifts that burden to uh, require that we prove up the mens rea of selling the drugs. Um, On the civil side, I'll continue to fight against noise pollution, against Blue Ribbon Coalition, and for housing in Grand County. These are both complex issues. essential at preserving our high quality of life here. Another goal of mine in a second term is to do more with water and our land use code. It's woefully inadequate. Um, my
0: second term is gonna be great. Reelect me, thank you. <laughs> Okay. Thank you to our Grand County Attorney candidates, Christina Sloan and Stephen Stocks, for participating in this debate. Public discourse is not easy, but it's always important, and we thank you. Um, We will now finally ask our live audience for a round of applause for the candidates. amazing thank you all so much if you are listening um at KZMU and you missed any of this debate or want to listen to it again we will be uploading the recording to our website kzmu.org. election day is tuesday november 8th registered voters should be receiving their ballot by mail next week you can still register to vote online at vote.utah.gov or in person at the grand county clerk's office Keep your radios dialed to KZMU. Uh, We are going to return with candidates running for Grand County Sheriff at 530 after a brief music break. Thank you. Airwaves from the Moab Arts and Recreation Center. Thank you to the folks at the Mark for giving us the space to do this. It's very great of them. Earlier, we heard from candidates running for Grand County Attorney. Uh, we turn now to those running for Grand County Sheriff, Kurt Brewer and Jameson Wiggins. Thank you both for being here tonight. Um, We're going to start off with some introductions. Candidates, in your intros, I'm hoping you could define the role of the sheriff as you see it and why you would be particularly effective. You could even mention some top priorities if you'd like. Um, You will have three minutes each. Um, We'll be starting alphabetically by last name, so Kurt Brewer is up first. Again, please introduce yourself, the role of the sheriff, and why you would best fill it.
4: All right. Well, I, first of all, I want to thank the uh, League of Women Voters for allowing me and the ACLU to come and speak for both Jamison and I. I really appreciate it uh, for both of us here to standing at the platform and giving you what we think, why we want to be sheriff. My name is Kurt Brewer. Um, I was born and raised in Moab. Uh, I raised a family here. Uh, I've been with the sheriff's office for 40 years, well, over 40 years now. And... and um, this is my this is my home this is my backyard this is I care about the people of this community I care about the citizens and the people that come here and visit you know the role of the sheriff is to serve and protect and ensure the safety well being of the citizens of grand county and the people that that come here and visit and uphold and enforce the laws of the state of Utah and protect the rights of the citizens but most of all my role is to try to gain the respect from the people to gain the trust as a sheriff i want to be that sheriff that's out there for the people i want to be the sheriff that that has an open door policy for the citizens of Grant county for the staff for the men and women of the sheriff's office i want to be that sheriff that is available The the role of a sheriff isn't just five days a week, Monday through Friday. The role of a sheriff is is every day. It's seven days a week, 365 days a year, 24 hours a day. And that's the type of sheriff that I want to be. I want to be here for the people. Some of the things that, that I've experienced in my 40 years, I started out as a corrections officer. I moved as a deputy sheriff. I've worked investigations. I've been a supervisor over investigations. I've worked narcotics. I've worked the drug task force. I've worked highway drug interdiction. I've been the chief deputy. Um, I've worked as an administrator. I've worked in the schools as a school resource officer. I've gained a lot of experience over my years. And, And with that leadership experience and dedication, I think that gives me, that's why I'm standing here today, is because I have that leadership and that experience and that dedication to lead the men and women of the Grand County Sheriff's Office and to be the sheriff for this county and for the citizens of Grand County. I think it's really important that I stand before the people of this community and be transparent and let the people know what's going on. If we have an investigation going on, I want to be that sheriff that stands in front of the public and tells the public what's going on, um, you know, and, and continue telling them what's going on. You know, there's going to be times that we have an investigation and we can't tell everybody what's going on. But, you know, so we don't jeopardize the case. But thank you.
0: Thank you. Jameson, you're up with an introduction.
5: Thanks for having us here tonight. And I'm actually kind of excited to do this as weird as that sounds. Um, My name is Jameson Wiggins, and I'm running unaffiliated for the Office of Sheriff I'm a sixth generation of Grand County, and I know this community well. My great-grandfather, Bill Tibbetts, was town marshal back in the 1900s. My grandfather, Ray Tibbetts, was a deputy sheriff here for Grand County. And my my dad was a uranium miner, but he hurt his back in the mines. He got addicted to heroin, and he passed away when I was a young boy. Um, Watching my family be destroyed by drugs, Left a profound impact on me. Um, I sought to help prevent a family from going through what my family had to go through. My desire to serve my community grew stronger and I developed my motivation to get into law enforcement. I look forward to going to work every day. I'm proud to serve not only my family but yours too. Other than my time away from for college, Moab has always been my home. My wife Amy and I are both alumni of Grand County High, and we are raising our children here, and I have a deep investment in the safety of this community. I decided to run for office because I, along with other community members, are frustrated with the way that things have been. Grand County deserves more, and through my vision and energy, WE CAN BRING A NEW LEVEL OF EXCELLENCE TO THE PEOPLE OF GRAND. I WAS ASKED TO DEFINE THE ROLE OF SHERIFF AS I SEE IT. AND THE OFFICE OF sheriff' DIRECT OBLIGATIONS ARE TO UPHOLD AND ENFORCE LAWS and in, IN ACCORDANCE TO THE CONSTITUTION OF THE UNITED STATES AND IS INTERPRETED BY THE U.S. SUPREME COURT. THE SHERIFF IS A HIGHEST RANKING LAW ENFORCEMENT OFFICER for the county and ensures public safety and oversees search and rescue efforts. The sheriff is an elected official public servant and directly serves and answers to the people. Your voice matters and citizens deserve to be heard and responded to. The community wants actions and results and through community involvement and interagency collaborations we can work together to achieve a higher quality of life. And I look forward to elaborating and discussing further my ideas for the office.
0: Thank you, candidates. We're going to move on to questions. Our questions tonight have been sourced from our nonprofit partners, local media, as well as members of the community. Candidates will be under time limits when answering each question. I'm just going to go over the rules briefly again for anyone just now tuning in. Candidates will have two minutes to respond to each question. Our timekeeper, um, or timekeepers, Jake and Eve, um, will hold up cards when they have 30 seconds and 10 seconds remaining. Finally, when candidates have reached their time, our timekeepers will ring a little bell. At that point, candidates can finish their sentence but should not start a new one. Each candidate will have the opportunity for a 30-second rebuttal, and if candidates do not directly address a question, we may pose a follow-up. In that case, the candidate will have one minute to provide an answer to the follow-up. And candidates, if you would like me to repeat any question, please just say so. We are asking our small live audience to keep a respectful silence after each candidate speaks and to reserve their applause until the end of the event. As I said earlier, we are here to participate in an important exercise in democracy, and we aim to treat everyone with fairness and equity in this space. Um, candidates will answer questions in rotating order. Um, Jamison, you are up first. Um, our first uh, question relates to a criminal justice issue that was raised earlier tonight on racial bias. What is your take on anti-bias trainings to help address racial disparities in our criminal justice system? As sheriff, how would you handle any racial bias in officer stops, arrests, monitoring, etc.?
5: That's a good question. It's It needs to start in the hiring process. I'm a big fan of the Brady List that is currently in place. The Brady List is a list of officers that have Um, red flags in their background Uh, a bias slash Brady list list should be in effect Um, that way when you take a slow response to um, hiring new officers you're going to be able to see those red flags and weed out those bad apples as some may call them um, I'M ALSO A BELIEVER IN SUPERVISORS DOING THEIR JOBS AND ACTUALLY REVIEWING BODY CAMERA for AT RANDOM FOR CERTAIN OFFICERS TO MAKE SURE THAT ALL OFFICERS ARE HELD ACCOUNTABLE. Um, EVERY INVESTIGATION OF A COMPLAINT SHOULD BE TAKEN SERIOUSLY. IF IT MEETS A CERTAIN THRESHOLD, OUR SHERIFF'S OFFICE SHOULD KICK IT TO AN OUTSIDE AGENCY that way, no nepotism or favoritism or sweeping under the rug will happen.
0: Thank you. Kurt? Can you read Same the question? question. Yep. Um, what is your take on anti-bias trainings to help address racial disparities in our criminal justice system? As sheriff, how would you handle any racial bias in officer stops, arrests, monitoring,
4: et cetera? With the sheriff's office, I mean, we don't, our officers go through a lot of training on bias training, any type of harassment training, um, and, and it's just not, under our policy and procedure, it's just not something that the sheriff's office is, is. Um, what's the word, um, let me go back. Sure. We, we, we investigate any and all types of bias. If, if we have it in the sheriff's office, The sheriff's office takes it serious. Those are serious allegations. Um, When we do have any type of a a bias or harassment within the sheriff's office, we look at it, we investigate it um, without any prejudice whatsoever. We may have to send it out to another agency that will investigate it. Um, There would be disciplinary actions if we found that somebody has violated somebody's civil rights Uh, in a bias or harassment way, Um, but we look at it as as a serious uh, allegation, and we would investigate that um, to the fullest and whatever we need to do and any type of disciplinary action that would take place, that would happen.
0: Jameson, would you like to take 30 seconds?
5: i think that it's also really important that members of the sheriff's office if they were to see something that they need to speak up or otherwise they're going to be held accountable as well um i think that i think we need more training for sure diverse training in grand county that's something that i think that we lack in
0: kurt would you like to take 30 seconds no okay all right we're going to move on to the next question this is about transparency Um, Candidates, you have each told local media that if elected as sheriff um, of Grand County, you would bring more transparency to that role and to the sheriff's office as a whole. Um, Can you give us some specifics? Um, Where exactly would you like the office to become more transparent and how would you do it? Kurt, you are up first.
4: Okay. As I mentioned in my opening uh, remarks, I want to be transparent as a sheriff. I want to be that sheriff that talks to people that's open to the public. If we have something going on, then I want the public to know. I want to be transparent with the men and women of the Sheriff's Office. Again, to have, have that open door policy, to have them come in to my office and speak with me or my administration. Uh, I want to be transparent with different civic and organization groups, religious groups, Seek Haven, um, um, some of the other uh, groups that we have. Um, I think that's really important for the sheriff to not have somebody be the speaker of the sheriff. I think it's important for the sheriff to be the one that stands up there. I want to I open up the doors. I want to I lower the fences between the sheriff's office, other law enforcement agencies, the police department, the highway patrol. I want us to work together. I want us to have communications with each other and, and work together. Because we're a small small town, we're a small community, and we have to work together. We have to open up them doors. We have to talk with each other. We have to work with each other. Um, Thank you.
0: Jameson, same question.
5: Will you repeat it one more time?
0: Um, You've told um, local media uh, you would bring more transparency to the role of sheriff. Um, Can you give us some specifics? Where exactly would you like the office to become more transparent, and how would you do it?
5: So I, again, along with the citizens of Grand County, are frustrated with the sheriff's office that we do not share more information. I feel like we can do a better job with that. Um, Part of that, if elected, I would like to report to the public, whether that's the newspaper or if that's on social media, about what the sheriff's office is up to hey, we've stopped 100 cars this weekend. We issued 50 citations. We impounded three UTVs. Um, But we need to let the public know, but we also need to let the commissioners know what we're up to as well. If we don't let the commissioners know what we're up to, they're going to have a hard time approving our budget. Uh, Transparency is huge with social media these days. Everybody likes to get their news on social media. I think that we need to do a better job. Right now we do... Uh, Press releases, but something that I get frustrated with, and again, the community, is we don't do follow-up press releases. And I think that's very important because, like the recent death, we need to do another follow-up investigation with it here in a couple weeks and let the public know what actually happened with the death of a person in our community. I think more press releases and more follow-up press releases and sharing more information about what we're actually up to so we can regain the public's trust.
0: Kurt, would you like to take uh, 30 seconds?
4: Yeah, and, and I agree. I mean, We've got to gain the public trust. We have to be out there and talk to people. We have to let people know what's going on. Um, in the past, we did. We used to do a lot of, of putting information in the newspaper. Um, that's kind of gone away. The social media is is kind of the way we're going now. We have people on staff now that are good with social media. And that's one of the things that I want to do as well is bring a lot of transparency, a lot of accountability in the social media. And, and again, I just want to make sure that, you know, we have an open-door policy for the people to where we can talk. If they have concerns that they have, then have them come in and talk to us.
0: Got it. Jameson did you want 30 okay we're gonna move on to the next question then Um, Jameson this one is going to you first we know that law enforcement responds to a lot of different types of calls here in Grant County um, but a frequent one is domestic violence also known as interpersonal violent crime as sheriff what approaches will you take to ensure interactions with victims are trauma informed culturally competent and equitable
5: So something that I feel like we need to establish is called MCOT. It's a mobile crisis outreach team. San Juan County is currently using it. Carbon County is currently using it. It's funded by the state via a grant. And it's a fast and free response, and it can be virtual as well. It includes youth and adult teams. And they show up in an unmarked mobile van. Uh, These people are specialized in domestic violence calls in um, drug related as well, I think that having an M, the mCO implemented in Grand county we can get a better service to the citizens um, and they 've actually already approached the sheriff 's office and we decline it 's something that we should implement right now um, and having a, a I was talking to Chief Garcia he has a domestic violence specialist officer at his department that 's something that we should have at our our department as well um, And and work together. I mean, certain officers can only get so much training, but if you have certain officers that have specialized training in domestic violence, they can conduct follow-up investigations and be better pre- better prepared.
0: Thank you, Kurt. Same question.
4: Yeah. Domestic violence is probably one of our most dangerous calls that we go on. Um, during COVID period, it seemed like we were going on domestic violence calls every night and every day it's kinda tapered down a little bit but again i mean those are some of the most violent calls that we have there's a lot of emotion going on when we respond with both parties we try to separate them and and there's the kids are involved and what i would like to see happen is i mean our hands are tied on domestic violence if there has been any type of a physical contact we either cite or we arrest it's just flat it's that. And we'll let the county attorney, we'll let the courts make that decision. But I think we've got to have support for those people. They've got to have support. I would like to put on a full-time victims advocate to be able to respond to these calls that we have. We do have one available with the police department, and he's fantastic. He, he supports us 100%. But I think, I think with the sheriff's office having their own, I think we could involve a lot of training for the officers, Um, and and again support for the people that are involved with the domestic violence and and have support for the kids have a place a safe place for these kids to go Um, we have seek haven and really other than a motel that's about it that we have for one party or the other to go to and we've got to have places for these people to be able to go and and just kinda let things calm down if if it wasn't didn't involve any type of, of physical altercation we try to separate them and but i think we just need the support they need the support we need more training with with domestic violence thank you
0: jameson would you like to take 30 seconds
5: i would also just add that having the support from the county attorney to be able to answer the call in the middle of the night by a deputy to ask the county attorney questions is is critical great i'm good
0: I actually have a one-minute follow-up for both of you. Um, would you, as sheriff, like to participate in the Lethality Assessment Program and the Sexual Assault Response Team? Um, I guess I'll say that to Kurt first since Jameson went first.
4: I don't know a whole lot about that, but anything that we can do to support and to help, I'm, I'm 100% in favor of that.
0: Jameson, same question? I'm very,
5: I'm, very, I'm in support of that very much so.
0: All right. Easy follow up. (laughs) All right. We're going to move on to uh, the next this next question. Um, Again, you know, this was just brought up the coordinated community response teams. Um, You know, there's talk, as Jameson mentioned, of creating a future mobile crisis outreach team. Um, I'm hoping you guys can spend a little bit more time on it. How do you plan on incorporating this methodology at the sheriff's office? Would you prioritize coordinated community responses if elected sheriff?
5: So repeat that one more time.
0: (laughs) How do you plan on incorporating um, methodology like coordinated community response teams, like you mentioned with the MCOT? um, How would you prioritize coordinated community responses as sheriff?
5: So, again, MCOT is something that we, it's available, and it's something that we should implement immediately. These, um... A call will come in through nine one one and then it's immediately dispatched to mcot mCOt will show up on scene and they will handle the investigation as long as it's not violent. They'll report back to the officers. The officers will then make a decision after talking to the county attorney um it's It's very critical that we we utilize new programs that are available that would be funded via this via grant. PAID FOR BY THE STATE. Um, SAN JUAN, LIKE I SAID, IS USING IT ALREADY. They're, THEY HAVE GREAT SUCCESS WITH IT. Uh, CARBON COUNTY ALSO uses IT AS WELL. IT'S, AGAIN, IT'S SOMETHING THAT I'M A BIG BELIEVER IN and, AND WE SHOULD TAKE ADVANTAGE OF IT.
0: OKAY, SAME QUESTION, Kurt.
4: AND I DON'T KNOW A WHOLE LOT ABOUT THIS TEAM.
0: SO uh, LET ME GIVE SOME BACKGROUND. SO THIS WOULD BE AN IDEA WHERE um, SOCIAL WORKERS OR COUNSELORS COULD LEAD RESPONSES ON CERTAIN CRISIS CALLS um, right. AND LAW ENFORCEMENT COULD ACT AS BACKUP.
4: Right. Um, yeah, I guess that's okay in some in- instances where, where if the call isn't a violent call but you never know when you respond to a domestic violence you just don't know because of the motions are so high you don't know what's going to happen and, and in my opinion I think an officer needs to get there first kind of assess the situation and if the officer deems that that the situation is contained and we can bring other people in I think that's great where the officer can kind of step back because a lot of these people when they see a a uniform they see a badge they back off some of them are are glad to see us there because we're support to them we're there to protect them but I think it's good for us to be able to back off a little bit and then let this team come in and and because they're trained they're trained some of them are probably uh, you know trained in mental health and and so I, I think they have a better grasp at what's happening to where we can stand there and and be support to them and support for the people but also protect the volatile situation that that has occurred with these people
0: so. all right, Jamison, do you want a 30-second follow-up? I think I'm good. Okay, Alright we're going to move on now um, thank you both um, to drugs drug enforcement um you each have expressed a certain passion to reduce the amount of illicit drugs in grand county especially when it comes to fentanyl which has been the cause of several recent overdoses in our community what role do you want the sheriff's office to play in drug enforcement um what are your plans in this arena um i believe this goes to jameson first
5: so again drugs mean a lot to to me personally um but through my hard work of being proactive at the sheriff's office, I've established relationships at the federal level with the EA, Homeland Security, uh, Rocky Mountain Haida, high intensity drug trafficking areas, and they are literally knocking at our door trying to give us money and resources that we can use countywide. And Why we haven't been using that, I have no idea, but it's something that we should implement. Um, Like I said, they're knocking on our door, but we also need to be fully staffed, and being fully staffed would allow us to be proactive in certain areas. And we need, me personally, we need um, resources, such as canines, to respond on scene, to let us do our job more effectively, Um, Right now, the only canine in the area is out of Emory County, and it's just not realistic for him to respond. But again, we we have to be willing to take the money from the federal government to help us, to help us do our job better. And I don't know if the community knows this or not, but fentanyl is here. It is killing our kids. It is killing our loved ones. And it's going to continue to keep happening unless we do something about it. And right now, I feel like we're... Not doing a very good job with that and we could be better, but we really have to get fully staffed in order to do this Um, And I would love to implement a drug task force team that works with City of Moab, Emory County um, The Highway Patrol and we share information back and forth with one another Um, Because if we're working as a team, we're stronger as a team and why we haven't had, why we dismantled our task force, I have no idea, and I think that was a, a very bad decision, and I'm assuming it was because of egos, but it, it needs to be re-implemented and quickly.
0: Okay. Thank you, Jameson. Um, Kurt, same question.
4: You know, I'm very passionate about the, the problem that we have, the drug-related problem we have in this community. I worked the drug task force for six years. I worked highway interdiction, and, and I don't think I mean, I don't think I've seen it probably as bad as now. I mean, we do have a major problem. And, and I think, and, and Jameson and I agree on a lot of this. And our fentanyl is what's coming into this community. It's hit every community. And again, and, and it's killing our kids. It's killing people. I don't know how many officers, how many times that we have responded on, on overdoses. YOU KNOW, AND THIS IS SOMETHING THAT WE NEED TO LET THE PUBLIC KNOW TO BE TRANSPARENT IS HOW MANY OF OUR OFFICERS HAVE RESPONDED AND HAD TO ADMINISTER NARCAN TO THESE PEOPLE TO BRING THEM BACK. OUR OFFICERS HAVE DONE CPR AND BROUGHT THEM BACK FOR THESE PEOPLE TO CONTINUE AND DO THE SAME THING AGAIN. I WANT TO BE THE SHERIFF THAT I'M NOT GOING TO DWELL ON WE'RE, we're UNDERSTAFFED, WE ARE. And that's mainly one of the reasons why I think our drug task force has went away, because we don't have the people that will work it. But as a sheriff, I want to be the sheriff. I want to be proactive in these high crime areas. I want, to be, I, I want officers to be in the areas that we keep getting reports on. And I want to be the sheriff that I'm going to in, implement. If my deputies are, are busy, I'm going to use the sergeants. I'm going to use the lieutenants. I'm going to use the captains, the chief deputy. AND THE SHERIFF, MYSELF, IF I BECOME THE SHERIFF, I WILL BE OUT THERE ALONG WITH EVERYBODY ELSE BECAUSE I THINK THAT'S A HIGH PRIORITY FOR THE SHERIFF'S OFFICE AND TO WORK WITH THE MOAB POLICE DEPARTMENT AND and SIDE BY SIDE AND TEAM UP AND BRING THE DRUG TASK FORCE BACK TO GRAND COUNTY. I THINK IT'S IMPORTANT AND THAT'S ONE OF THE HIGHEST THINGS THAT I WANT TO DO AS A SHERIFF. SO THANK YOU.
0: THANK YOU. Um, JAMISON, DO YOU WANT TO 30 SECONDS?
5: YEAH, I WOULD JUST SAY THAT um, I don't know why we're waiting for the election year to implement a drug task force. Um, no offense, Kurt, but you have been a part of the admin, and you should have pushed harder towards having a drug task force team sooner. Um, I know that's ultimately the sheriff's responsibility, but it should have been—you should have been more vocal about it.
0: Kurt, would you like thirty seconds?
4: Yeah, I think that I think we need to focus in our community. WE HAVE OFFICERS, INCLUDING JAMISON, THAT LIKE TO SIT ON THE INTERSTATE AND JUST WORK TRAFFIC. AND THAT'S ALL HE LIKES TO DO. WE NEED OFFICERS THAT ARE GOING TO WORK IN OUR COMMUNITY. ARE GOING TO WORK. THIS IS WHERE the, THE DRUGS ARE HAPPENING. YEAH, WE HAVE THEM ON THE INTERSTATE, BUT THEY'RE GOING SOMEWHERE ELSE. THEY'RE GOING TO SOMEBODY ELSE'S KIDS. WE GET THEM OFF THE STREETS. BUT WE HAVE TO FOCUS ON OUR COMMUNITY. And we need, I'm not against people working, officers working the interstate. I think it's great, but I think our focus needs to be in our community.
0: Okay, I'm gonna take one a uh, one minute follow up, um, same question to both of you, Kurt, it goes to you first. Um, I know you both have mentioned to me that you do wanna implement a drug task force. So how would, you, how would you do that if elected sheriff?
4: Well, one of the things that, that I look at is I WANT TO TRY to, TO HIRE A DRUG TASK FORCE OFFICER. AND I WANT TO, I want to WORK SIDE BY SIDE WITH THE POLICE DEPARTMENT and, AND FOR THEM TO PROVIDE AN OFFICER FOR THE DRUG TASK FORCE. I WANT TO WORK WITH THE HIGHWAY PATROL AND, and, our, and OUR STATE AND FEDERAL OFFICERS TOO TO BRING SOME OF THEM OFFICERS DOWN HERE, BRING the, DOWN THE DEA, bring, BRING THE EXPERTISE THAT THE STATE has to help us out. I mean, they have equipment, we just haven't utilized it. I haven't been a part of that circle to bring that stuff here. I'm a patrol sergeant. I have a job that I supervise the patrol division. And if I could right now implement a drug task force, I would. But I have people that are higher than me that, that I have to account to. SO, BUT MY JOB, MY, my JOB WOULD BE to, TO WORK WITH THE POLICE DEPARTMENT.
0: OKAY. THANK YOU. Um, Jameson. SAME FOLLOW-UP, HOW WOULD YOU IMPLEMENT A DRUG TASK FORCE IF ELECTED?
5: SO THE STATE OF UTAH WILL FUND A DRUG TASK FORCE. BUT AGAIN, um, FEDERAL AGENCIES, HOMELAND SECURITY, DEA, THEY'VE BEEN KNOCKING ON OUR DOOR AT THE SHERIFF'S OFFICE SINCE I'VE BEEN HERE. TO GIVE US MONEY AND RESOURCES THAT WOULD PAY FOR A DRUG TASK FORCE, so THEY WOULD PAY FOR RESOURCES, they WOULD PAY FOR CANINES, IT WOULD PAY FOR THE uh, DEPUTIES TO WHERE THE TAX BURDEN WOULDN'T FALL ON TO THE TAXPAYING CITIZENS. Um, and, it, AND I DON'T WORK THE INTERSTATE ALL THE TIME. I WORK THERE MAYBE ONCE A MONTH. Um, BUT WHEN I DO WORK IT, IT MAKES THE NEWS. Um, AND and I, do would li- I WOULD LIKE TO SAY SOMETHING IS WHEN I DO WORK THE COUNTY AND I WORK IN SPANISH VALLEY, I, I BUSTED A DRUG DEALER out in the valley and she told me she said jameson do you travel to grand junction to go to walmart and i said yes and she said well so do i i go to grand junction and i purchase my drugs and i bring them back to our community so it's still in grand county i-70 is still in grand county and same with 191 but we need to utilize the resources from the feds to implement a drug task force
0: Thank you both for that follow-up. Um, we're gonna go now to our next question. This is re- relates to emergency management. So this summer, um, our com- oh, Jameson, you're up first. Uh, this summer, our community experienced a potentially life-threatening flood event. Um, concerns were then raised around Grand County's emergency management system, specifically the function of our emergency alerts and other issues related to dispatch. Now, Grand County is once again hiring an emergency management director who will be supervised by the sheriff. What improvements, if any, would you make to emergency management at the Grand County Sheriff's Office, whether that comes um, with emergency alerts, dispatch, or interagency collaboration?
5: So right now we have AlertSense and we have IPAWS. They're two totally different things, and that technology has been at the Sheriff's Office for a long time. Um, alert Sense is a reverse 911 call that would go to your phone if you signed up for it. I pause forces an alert that goes to your cell phone whether you like it or not in a geofence. Um, I would say about our dispatchers and our emergency management is that they've outgrown their bubble that they work in. There's usually one dispatcher that's in there at a time and they're responsible for taking 911 calls, answering the radio, Um, watching the inmates, watching the jailers, and they've just outgrown that area. And what they need, what we need to do at the sheriff's office is we need to get them out of that bubble into their own facility to where they can focus on dispatching. Um, And I, I keep hearing from fire, from EMS, from the city PD that they created their own emergency manager because they were frustrated with the sheriff's office. I don't know what, I don't have any inside information about that, but there is some tension there, um, but I feel like having more interagency working relationships and understanding the technology that's available is critical to providing a, a public safety, um, and I think, that's, I think that's about it.
0: Okay. Um, Kurt, same question. What changes would you make to emergency management at the Grand County Sheriff's Office, if any, or improvements?
4: Well, in the past, we did have a full-time emergency management emergency manager, and in my opinion, it worked because that person worked with the community, all the different emergency response organizations, and 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 I hope that when we do hire a full-time emergency manage, manager, that that it's somebody that we that has experience that can bring the experience to Grand County. HE'LL WORK DIRECTLY UNDER THE SHERIFF OR HIM OR HER WILL WORK DIRECTLY UNDER THE SHERIFF. Um, I WANT THAT PERSON TO WORK SIDE BY SIDE WITH THE POLICE DEPARTMENT, WITH THE FIRE DEPARTMENT, WITH ALL OTHER ORGANIZATIONS THAT REQUIRE if they get called out on a, on a natural disaster. We've had a lot of different disasters within the last several years. We've had the fires, we've had the floods, we had a fire again, we had a flood again. I worked the night that we had the floods and, and the system failed us. The alert sense went off probably two hours after the situation was, was pretty well contained. And and I want to bring, with emergency management, I want to bring what's called CERT. And we used to have it. And it's, it's trained volunteers that want to help. We have a lot of people that come out, and they ask us, how can I help? What can I do? And CERT is a community emergency response team. And these are made up of people that are trained. and And they come out, and they help the sheriff's office. They help the police department. They help. They're directly under emergency management. And they set up locations for displaced families. They set up tents. They have cots. They have water that we can take people to that can help them. And so I want the emergency management to be involved with the community, all the emergency response uh, organizations.
0: Thank you. Jameson, 30 seconds.
5: Yeah, I also forgot to talk about our radio. Can you guys hear me back there, by the way? Our radio towers are outdated, and they need to be upgraded. And it's a responsibility of the sheriff's office and emergency management. It's an officer safety issue. Sometimes my cell phone works better than my radio does, and that's pretty embarrassing. And we have the people to fix those issues, but I don't know why we're not taking advantage of that. It's it's We need to fix that immediately. Again, it our infrastructure needs to be upgraded, and we need to have better trainings with our admin
4: and other departments as well.
0: Current 30 seconds. Uh,
4: I don't know if our infrastructure, our, our towers are outdated. Most of these towers are new, but we're going through a phase of, of brand new radios. We're going on a 800 system on our radios. We do have some, t- some clicks in it that we're trying to get through. And, and I, again, I'm not involved with a lot of the radio stuff that's happening, but I, I do know that I think once we do get those people in place, we get our infrastructure in place, then, then I think our, our radio system will be a lot better.
0: Thank you both. Um, this next question uh, goes to Kurt first. Um, I've heard the sheriff's office described by some elected leaders almost as a revolving door when it comes to hiring and staffing. Um, There's been a fair amount of turnover. Tell us about your strategies for staffing at the Grand County um, Sheriff's Office. What are your plans for hiring and retaining staff if elected?
4: Yeah, that's one of the problems why why we are shorthanded. IS WE DO HAVE A BIG TURNOVER OF LAW ENFORCEMENT. <clears throat> WE HAVE a lot, of, a LOT OF LAW ENFORCEMENT OUT THERE THAT WANT TO COME WORK HERE, BUT THEY TELL US, I CAN'T AFFORD IT. I CAN'T AFFORD THE co- HIGH COST OF LIVING IN MOAB, IN GRAND COUNTY. Um, a LOT OF THE OFFICERS, it, IT PROBABLY TAKES CLOSE TO A YEAR TO RECRUIT, TO HIRE THESE PEOPLE and train and go through uh, all the training that is required before that officer can get out on the road on his own. And that takes eight to nine, almost a year for that officer to be comfortable and to be on his own. But then after a year, they're like, I just can't afford it. It costs too much. I don't get paid enough. The cost of living, my rent is $2,200 a month. And so, I would like to implement a lot of agencies. We need to stay in competitive with other agencies around the state, um, even even the police department. Um, I would like to see us come up with some type of signing bonuses to help that person uh, offset the cost of when they do come here of of rent uh, or buying a home. I would like to implement some type of a stipend. A lot of agencies are paying a housing stipend. To help them offset the cost, these are things that we have to retain our employees, not only with with a road deputy position, but in the corrections and other other uh, departments of the sheriff's office. But we have to retain them, so we have got to come up. We we need to stay competitive with our wages, and we just can't stick with okay. We just got a raise, but now. We had, you know, we're good for several years. We gotta stay competitive with other departments within the state so we don't lose them.
0: Thank you, Jameson, same question.
4: Um, I think the,
5: the best way and the most effective way to solve this problem right now is to expand our de- deputy living radius to Monticello, to Loma, Colorado. Um, I have officers that if I'm elected, that they wanna live in those areas and they wanna come here and work in Grand County we have to be able to expand our living radius. It's not always about sign-on bonuses. It's about morale, office morale. And our office morale right now is probably the lowest I've ever seen it. Um, People will come and work for an agency for less money as long as they have really great technology and they have fantastic morale. So I feel like if you have really good office morale and you have really good technology, um, I also am a big believer in having deputies signed contracts because the county is going to spend thousands of dollars in time and energy, and the deputies have been leaving the sheriff's office lately. If we can implement a contract, um, like Kurt said, there are agencies that are implementing contracts, not necessarily with a sign-on bonus, but a contract that says if we fund you and we pay you and we invest time and money into you, we want three years of service out of you. Before you leave, and if you leave within those three years, you have to pay the sheriff's office back set amount of money. I think that's something that we we need to implement right away. Um, it does take about a year for for somebody to apply, make it through the post, make it through the background process, make it through um, the training, and for them to actually take a call by themselves is about a year. So if you have great morale, you have leaders that lead by an example, you have a working sheriff's office, you'll you'll have a really good retention program. And right now we currently don't have a lot of those things. And that's something that I would like to change.
0: Okay, thank you. Kurt, would you like to take 30 seconds?
4: Yeah, I'm, I'm somewhat in favor of expanding our living distance. We do allow people to live in Green River. We do allow people to live in, in LaSalle. Monticello, we're kind of pushing the limit. Um, the reason is because the safety issues for an officer he gets off a off of graveyard. He's been working a 10, 12, 14-hour shift, and now he has to drive an hour away. He's got to drive home. I know of uh, Emory County over the last probably 20 years. They've lost two officers because of uh, that officer covering Green River, and then they have to drive all the way back to Castledale. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's one of my concerns, but I'm not, I'm not against looking into it. Okay. I mean, that, that okay. could help out.
0: Thank you. Um, Jamison, 30 seconds?
4: No, I think I'm good. Okay.
0: (laughs) All right. Um, We're going to move on to everyone's favorite subject, noise enforcement. Um, We're curious about your approach to it as sheriff. Uh, This one goes to Jamison first. Do you plan to prioritize enforcement of the county's noise ordinance and OHV speed limits or any future local law that might be related to this issue? Why or why not? How do you plan on keeping Grand County's streets quiet and peaceful?
5: Great question. So the best way to combat this problem is to create code enforcement officer positions within the Sheriff's Office. Those code enforcement officer positions would help out the daytime deputy, Right now, our deputies go call to call to call, bin inspection to noise complaint to animal problem to parking problem. And just the other day, I was heading to a call and I passed a group of five UTVs that were passing me and all five weren't registered. And I couldn't pull them over because I'm headed to a call that should have been handled by a code enforcement officer position. So if we had that code enforcement officer position, it would lighten the load on the deputies. It would allow them to be proactive. Um, But I would make it very well clear that The Sheriff's Office doesn't want to attack or target a specific group such as UTVs. It's Jake breaks on the highway. Highway Patrol needs to help out more often, and they're they're not, and they need to help out more. The Sheriff's Office is constantly being attacked. The city needs to start being attacked. A lot of the complaints come from city limits. It's not just the Sheriff's Office. So if we had code enforcement officers, and we had proactiveness at the Sheriff's Office, and our deputies had more time to be proactive and enforce state laws it would make a huge difference. And I would also say too that Kurt and I are both trained in the noise testing and what we've found out is that from a stop to a go, is that's when a machine makes the most noise, it's on our load bearing and that's making the most noise. So we were conducting our tests up on Sand Flats and Mill Creek at that stop sign. And those neighbors were saying, hey man, this is ridiculous, what do you think? And, I, and it's like myself and another deputy that were there, we said, if we had a roundabout here, it would eliminate the stop and go. If we had a roundabout, we would obviously have to work with the city of Moab and the county, but if we had a roundabout to alleviate some of these problems where they're stopping and going, creating the most noise, I think that would be very effective. But again, we gotta, we got to have code enforcement officers and keep up with the time. city of Moab has code enforcement officers. Other agencies have code enforcement officers. It's time that the sheriff's office gets code enforcement.
0: Kurt, same question.
4: You know Whatever I say one group or the other isn't gonna like what I say So we're kind of stuck in between but I think we need to have a balance. We've got to have a balance with both sides But I don't know if a code enforcement is one that I'm comfortable with because in order to make a traffic stop you have got to be a law enforcement officer and and I'm not comfortable with just a, a citizen making a traffic stop on a vehicle and we're not only talking about UTVs, we're talking about motorcycles, we're talking about semis that are coming through town, we're talking about um, you know, trucks and cars that um, you know, their exhaust is, you know, they don't have any exhaust on their vehicles. So we're talking about a person making a stop on a vehicle and that is a dangerous situation. When you stop a vehicle, it's dangerous, and you're approaching that person. And now there's a lot of motion running when you've got to, you know, you're talking to that person about, okay, you don't have a registration or it's too loud. But I live in an area that is probably impacted by UTVs just as bad as 4th or, or Mill Creek or one of those. I live on 400 North, and I get them constantly, day in and day out, all night long. I'm in favor of a curfew. Uh, Some of you may not like that, but I don't think these UTVs should be on the streets from 11 o'clock at night until 7 o'clock in the morning or 10 o'clock at night. I'm in favor of that. I'm just like you. I like to sit in my yard. I like to have the peace and quiet, but, you know, and and I do, I, I like some of the speed limits in town. I think they're working, but the problem that we have with that is now we're getting some road rage. I'm getting a lot of people that tell me. You know, I'm tired of following seven UTVs up 500 west when the speed limit's 15 miles an hour. And so now these people are passing these people. And, and so we're having problems with that. But I'm, I'm in favor with the speed limits in town. Out in the valley, I'm not a big fan okay. of, you know, the speed limit on Spanish Valley Drive. I think it can okay. be raised just a little bit.
0: Thank you. Um, Jamison, do you want 30
4: seconds? Yeah, I want to clarify something. So the code
5: enforcement officers wouldn't be conducting traffic stops. They would just be alleviate. They would be helping out the deputy to where they're not going call to call the call. The code enforcement officer position would be easily, it would be easily filled. They would not be post-certified. They wouldn't carry a firearm. They would handle civil calls, animal problems, parking problems, those issues fill up our CAD list when you're a deputy during the daytime at the sheriff's office. And like I said, when I'm on my way to a vent inspection out in the valley, I pass a group of five UTVs headed into town and I can't stop them because that's gonna take an hour out of my day to deal with all five of them when I'm headed to a code enforcement call.
0: Okay, current 30 seconds.
4: Well, number one, I mean, if you're going to a vent inspection, you're at your, you know, discretion when you can do that vent inspection those people that want a inspection they know they don't know when that officer' going to be able to get there. So if you've got five UTVs that are passing you that are unregistered there's no reason why you, you, you shouldn't have to stop them. you shouldn't stop them I mean because that inspection can wait. but I want I think something also is I want to team up with the police department and and use utilize both departments within the city, within the county in these high volume areas that we're having problems with. I think all of us can team up together and try to, you know, help out each other. Thank you
0: too. we um, We're closing in on this evening. It's flying by. Um, our last question, or one of our last questions, depending on how much time we have. Um, your top three priorities as sheriff. Um, Kurt, this goes to you. Um, what are your top three priorities, day one as sheriff, if elected?
4: Number one is, as a sheriff, The first day I want to, you know, I want to be with my staff. I want my staff, the men and women that work for the sheriff's office, to know that I support them and I want to gain their trust and their support. I want to have an open door policy so they can come in. I want to listen to their ideas. I know that, you know, there's a lot of new stuff out there and and I'm only one person and one person can't win a game you've got to have all the team players and I want to utilize all the men and women at the Sheriff's Office to to bring ideas to make the Sheriff's Office better to gain the support from the people from the public Um, recruiting recruiting is a big one I want to start right off the bat coming up with ways to recruit and and to hire and retain employees I think that's a big priority but also we keep talking about being proactive we want to be proactive. We're reactive We Saturday. I think I had six ambulance calls that day alone three of them were in the book cliffs. So we want to be proactive and I think Jameson agrees with us, but we're going call to call. And so again, I want to utilize the people that we have at the sheriff's office. We have a backcountry patrol. We have a court. Uh, a felony drug court tracker. We have a person that serves papers. We can utilize these people. We can, you know, have them help out with areas that we have um, issues and problems with. I want to utilize the sergeants. I want to utilize the lieutenants and the captains again. Everybody that sits in that office, our investigators, we can bring them out and utilize them. And I don't want to dwell on, we're just shorthanded, we're shorthanded. We've got people until we can hire more. These are the people that I want to lean on and bring to the sheriff's office. Thank you.
0: Okay, same question Jameson.
5: So I actually have four things that I want to do. First of all, we have to be fully staffed in order to do really anything at the sheriff's office. We're about eight people short. That includes our jailers. We have to be fully staffed. Number two, I want to implement code enforcement. I'm telling you guys, it's going to make everybody's quality of life better. Uh, citizens it'll make the deputies' life better it'll improve morale um, because a lot of the guys say they're tired of being Spanish Valley VIN Police they want to do something different than just going bend to bend to Vin. and if we had code enforcement officers it would improve everything across the board again it'll create a better quality of life for the residents I want to implement a task force that's not just drugs it's major crimes as well because um, we do have major crimes that happen in Grand County and then lastly is new technology there is so much new technology that is available that we are currently not utilizing and it it's painful to see other agencies utilizing new technology that we're not doing that's available and again it would be paid for by federal grants it'd be paid for by the state of utah but we 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 don't have anybody applying for grants and we need to have people applying for grants to purchase our new technology for the sheriff's office Um, everybody would get a better service out of it.
0: Okay. Kurt, do you want 30 seconds?
4: Uh, um, I think I'm good, thanks. Okay.
0: All right, we do have time for one more question. This is back to criminal justice. Um, This goes to Jamison first. Um, In recent years, communities across the country have been demanding more accountability in law enforcement. As sheriff, what policies, if any, would you implement or support to increase accountability for your officers and address any officer misconduct?
5: So like I spoke about earlier, um, the responsibility should fall back onto the patrol sergeants. The patrol sergeants should be reviewing random body camera footage from the deputies to ensure that they're doing a great job and not violating anybody's rights. But we also have to have the latest and greatest body cameras. I can't tell you how many times my body camera malfunctions, and I have to write in my report, my body camera malfunction, and it died during this incident, and... Now it makes me, the officer, look bad because my body camera died. We currently have a bid in to get new body cameras. It's about $147,000 for new body cameras for just 12 officers. That's a lot of money, but we have to have the best technology available to restore the public's trust. Um, and, and I am a big fan of having outside agencies review complaints so that it avoids nepotism, favoritism, and incidents being swept under the rug.
0: Same question.
4: You know, our officers are are held at a higher standard, and they have to be accountable for their actions, and they have to be accountable for when they investigate, and they do a good investigation. And, you know, they have to be accountable for being able to know what their job is. They have to be accountable for, for training. They have to be accountable for, you know, preparing for court. And and so I think it's it's really important that you know when you talk about accountability that we're held at a higher standard and we have to be able to you know be proactive and and transparency to the people when they do ask us what's going on and we can we can talk to that officer they can talk to that officer and they can tell them you know this is this is what's going on and and, but I think we're held at a higher standard so but we have to all be accountable for our actions.
0: Jameson, 30 seconds. I think I'm good. Okay, thank you too um, for participating tonight. This was very informative. Um, we're now going to take a few minutes for some closing statements. Um, this is an opportunity to clarify or expand upon a point made earlier in the evening. You could also use this time to summarize your campaign and why voters should elect you to serve as Grand County Sheriff for the next four years. Um, Candidates will have two minutes for their closing statements. Um, It looks like, Kurt, we're starting with you.
4: As I said earlier in my opening statements, I've got over 40 years. I've got a lot of experience. I've been involved in major incidents. I've stood shoulder to shoulder with both sheriffs on major incidents I've seen I've seen the stress involved in it but I've seen what they've done and I want to be that type of a sheriff that you know is is there for the community is there for the citizens of Grand County um, I've got a lot of experience I have leadership experience I have supervisor experience um, I, you know and, and administrative experience and I want to be that person that the, the public can count on. I'm a little concerned with somebody that doesn't have any experience. They've been a corrections officer, they've been a deputy, and that's all they've been. And now they're jumping in to being a sheriff. They haven't been a sergeant, they haven't been a, a lieutenant or any of that. And I'm a little concerned, not only as an officer, but I would be concerned as a citizen that if Jamison gets in there, and he decides, man, this is over my head. I wish I would have been a sergeant first uh, as a supervisor. And now what's going to happen? He's going to have to hire somebody that's a good chief deputy that's got the experience so he can lean on. And that's one of my concerns. I mean, sure, I mean, Jameson is a great guy. I love him to death. And we're good friends. And this is really, this is you know, this is... I think difficult for both of us. But I'm a little concerned with the lack of experience that he has in running a sheriff's department and being a sheriff and trying to lead the men and women of the sheriff's office into next year and four years beyond that.
0: Thank you, Kurt. Jamison?
4: So first of all, Sheriff Nyland was elected
5: at 32 years old and he served for 32 years. He had less experience than I did since why I'm running right now. I'm running for office. It's been frustrating and it's an in- interesting experience. However, I'm dedicated to this. I'm here for the long haul. My motivation to do this is stemmed from the frustration I feel with the current stagnant state of the sheriff's office. We need proactiveness and it starts at the top. I will be a working sheriff with open ears and mind um, and who is present with literally an open door. We need to keep up with the times and ever evolving case law. And forward-thinking policies to be most effective when we can do better if elected my plan is to implement new technology that is available that we are currently not utilizing and i want to create a code enforcement officer position within the sheriff's office this new position would be easier to fill as it again doesn't require a post certification and or to carry a firearm i think that's great feedback from the public they'd like to see that the position would tackle such calls as animal problems noise complaints civil issues and parking problems and then it would allow our deputies to have more time and abilities and opportunities to implement prevention focused community-based policing Um, our state and federal lands could also be patrolled more alongside our already established backcountry deputy that's in the back there Um, We have federal agencies literally knocking on our door wanting to give us money and resources that we can use countywide We should be accepting help and resources and applying for grants that we can use again countywide The public yearns for so much more and through my drive and vision We can deliver a greater level of service and a greater quality of life for the citizens of Grant County It's an exciting time, and it's a revitalizing time, and it's truly a time for change in policing in Grand County. A new generation of policing is here, and if you want to see forward progress and positive change, vote for Jamison Wiggins on November 8th.
0: All right. Thank you too to the Grand County Sheriff candidates, Kurt Brewer and Jamison Wiggins, for participating in this debate. It is not easy to take part in public discourse, but it is important, and we thank you. Can we please have a round of applause for these candidates? Thank. Thank you all so much. Just a few housekeeping things. If you missed any of this event or just want to listen later, we will be uploading the recording to our website, KZMU.org. Stay tuned next Monday from 4 to 7 for another series of debates. We'll have candidates running for Grand County Commission and State House District 69. Election Day is Tuesday, November 8th. Registered voters should be receiving their ballot by mail next week. You can still register to vote online at vote.utah.gov or in person at the Grand County Clerk's Office. Now some thank yous. Um, In addition to thanking the candidates for Grand County Sheriff and Grand County Attorney for participating, we want to thank everyone who made this event happen. Thank you to the ACLU of Utah, the (laughs) South, yep, thank you. The Southeast Utah League of Women Voters. Thank you Moab Arts and Recreation Center. Thank you to our amazing KZMU staff and to the community members and organizations who submitted questions tonight. Thank you to the many people listening from home for participating in our local election process. KZMU seeks to provide our community with opportunities to exercise their First Amendment rights regardless of beliefs or circumstances, and we hope we have achieved that this evening. All right, um, listeners, we will now pass it back to the studio on Rocky Road. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.